So we'll join together in a word of prayer and then we're going to get into this scripture. Obviously this uh, wasn't going to be a popular one this evening, but uh, it is important. So let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to open your word. And uh, I pray, Father, that uh, you will open the hearts of those who will hear now and later, uh, both online and any who will join us here uh, in the room. And uh, just pray that uh, we will be receptive and we will allow you to move us the direction you want to move us. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, um, last week we looked at that the verse quite extensively, uh, verse 12. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. And this was apparently this this was a saying that they they were passing around. All things are lawful for me. As I indicated last week, uh, that they weren't under the law. And uh, the Apostle Paul said, that's fine, but not everything is helpful. And uh, as I indicated, if we're walking in the law of love, if we are um, loving God and if we're loving our neighbor, then we're going to be seeking to do what we're supposed to do without having to consider whether there are commandments that uh, we're breaking or keeping. Uh, certainly if I'm caring for my neighbor, then uh, I am going to seek to benefit them, right? That's really a good definition of love, not that I feel a certain thing for my neighbor, but what's best for them, right? So uh, this fella that was here in, in the back that decided he's not gonna stay, he's come a lot of times and he's asked me for money a lot of times and uh, I've given him money a lot of times and all I did was ask him to stay until the end of Bible study, but he didn't wanna do that. So, you know, uh, this organization, Our Calling in Dallas that helps the homeless says, don't ever give money to homeless folks. Well, this fella is not necessarily homeless, so, um, but it's, I just, I try to test people. How, you know, is it always gonna be best for that person for me to just hand over a $20 bill? Is that always gonna be best for you to give, you know, your child what they want or something? Um, we, we have to seek what's best for them. So this is, we need to consider that for ourselves and for others. Sure, I'm not under the law, but I'm, the Holy Spirit is within me and he's going to convince me, convict me of what I need to do or what I don't need to do. Um, I need to be walking in the Spirit. I need to allow Christ to, uh, to be born in me and to grow up in me so that that nature of Jesus is acting through me and in me. Um, so uh, the other thing that he said, not all, thing, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All the things are lawful, but I will not be dominated by anything. So we looked at a lot of uh, aspects of idolatry last week. But as I said then, I believe uh, the primary idol that we all struggle with is self. It enchants each one of us one way or the other. And the passage we're studying, uh, and as we're going to get into these next verses, addresses uh, sexual sin. But in many cases, uh, that's just another form of uh, selfish idolatry. So uh, a lot of people are, are using sex in various ways to satisfy, to satiate sensuality and selfish idolatry. Apart from love, sex is just ironic, perverse, and even monstrous. So 
In the next passage that we're going to read, this is verses 13 through 20, that will conclude chapter six. There are 10 reasons to avoid sexual immorality. And that's really the, the phrase that we would use to translate this Greek word pornea. And of course you hear porn in there, uh, pornos, pornea. Uh, these are the Greek words that refer to sexual sin. So we could just as easily say sexual sin as sexual immorality. And the easiest way to designate that and say, well, what is sexual immorality is anything outside the bounds of marriage between one man and one woman for life. Um, Jesus doubled down on that as uh, God's design uh, in scripture. He says, have you not heard that he who made them from the beginning made them male and female so that a man will leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife and the two will become one flesh. So, you know, Jesus very much um, uh, solidified what is taught in Genesis, that God did create us, that he created us male and female, and that as the result, uh, the sexual gift is to be had within the boundaries of marriage. So here are the 10 reasons that someone should avoid sexual sin, according to Paul in these verses. First, the body was not designed for sexual immorality. Then the body is meant for Christ. Now, of course, these are reasons for a believer, for a Christian. Some of them would apply to a non-Christian. Um, certainly, the, the reality that God designed us in a specific way uh, applies to both Christian and non-Christian. But these appeals are being made by the Apostle Paul to a group of people who have said Jesus is Lord. They've given him their life, right? So the body, number one, was not designed for sexual immorality. The body is meant for Christ, that's number two. Number three, the body belongs to Christ. Number four, the body will be raised from the dead rather than disposed of in the grave. Number five, the Christian's body is a member of Christ's body on earth. Number six, Christ's body should be joined to a sexual, shouldn't, shouldn't be joined to a sexually sinful person. Number seven, Christ and the Christian are one in spirit. Number eight, the person who commits sexual immorality sins against their own body. Number nine, the believer's body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And number 10, Christ redeemed or bought back the Christian's body from destruction. Therefore, each of us should glorify God with it. So now listen to these verses and you'll see how that all, uh, all, all of those 10 come out of these verses. Now, verse 13, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the, God who raised the Lord and God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. 
So let's look at that first phrase, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. Uh, one of our members asked last week exactly what that meant. Well, it's another saying and it applies more broadly than just food. In this case, he tells us what uh, he means by that. Uh, in saying food is for the, for the stomach and the stomach for food, they were implying, well, the body is just, could be used for sexual immorality. It doesn't really, really matter. Um, but number one uh, of these 10 reasons, the body was not designed for sexual immorality. I think it's important to understand the body is designed. You are designed. So we can't just go and do whatever we wanna do. We're going to, we're gonna follow God's design for everything and for our body in particular. And this applies in many ways, but in this respect or regard, uh, the Apostle Paul is applying it to sexual immorality or sexual sin. So apparently this was another proverb or cliche, the body's meant for food, food for the body, quoted by the Corinthians. And Paul indicates that it is not relevant to the discussion of sexual sin in the way the Corinthians would like to apply it. The, the proverb betrays its Gnostic roots. Now remember the Gnostics who were cropping up a little bit at this time, but certainly much more later, they just believed that the, the, the body, the physical was bad. And so they approached it in two different ways. And you kind of see people do this today. Um, some of them just agreed to give in to the impulses of the body, whatever they were, because they said, you know what? The body's just gonna die anyway and we're gonna live on in this, uh, this spiritual existence, this existence of mind only. So what you do with the body doesn't matter. And you got people today during the pandemic, I mean, they're just running around, they don't care. You know, if I get sick, I get sick. If I die, I die. People don't care for their health. Uh, you know, people think that they can just do whatever they wanna do, however they feel. And again, the body is designed. So <clears throat> that's the wrong approach, certainly. The other approach by these Gnostics, since they thought the body was evil, they, they would harshly treat it, right? Um, they would, uh, you know, they would deprive themselves of things. And uh, uh, this is kind of what we do when we fast. This is sort of what we do during Lent. But these folks were taking it to the extreme and doing it all the time where they were just not taking care of themselves at all or they were punishing themselves. Well, I won't say themselves, their bodies, because they just saw their body as being something different or other than them. They, they had a, a dichotomy in their thinking. That is, there were two sides to them. They thought, well, the, here's mind or spiritual, and then this is the physical. Well, the physical is bad. So, you know, I, I just need to punish it and I need to make sure that it's not acting out. So both of those were the reactions of the Gnostics. And what you see in Corinth is this licentiousness, right? This kind of just acting out on whatever I feel like doing, sensuality. Um, but, you know, we can, if we're not careful as Christians, we can hear uh, some teaching like this on sexual immorality and, you know, our minds can go in the wrong place or we can act out in the wrong way and then we can think, oh, I just need to punish myself. Just remember that Jesus took all of the punishment on himself on the cross. So what I have to do is I need to confess my sin, I need to forsake my sin, and I need to seek to follow Jesus. Um, so uh, your body was meant to be part of Christ's body on earth, not some insignificant mistake or even, this isn't just a temporary state of existence. It's sort of a, uh, a foretaste or a foreshadowing of what we're gonna have. You are gonna have a body in eternity. We're not gonna be floating around on the clouds. We're not gonna be ghosts or spirits. 
will have physical bodies. Jesus was raised. Now, a physical body that is uh, very much different than this one, Jesus also suddenly appeared in rooms and, you know, he was able to transcend our time and space and, you know, essentially go back and forth between what we call heaven and here, right? God's space, God's dimensions and here. And so that body that we will have will never get sick. It will, uh, I don't know that it will experience pain in any way like this body does. Um, you will be recognizable as you, certainly, but uh, the perfect you, if you will. Uh, so we are going to have an eternity in a resurrected body. And so taking care of this body, I think is really kind of a, a stewardship for what we're going to be doing in eternity, right? So uh, the Apostle Paul goes on and he makes the application. He said, the body is not meant for sexual immorality. So obviously the body is meant for something. It's not purposeless or pointless. I don't know how you feel about uh, you know, your birth, uh, whether you feel like you were an accident or a mistake, you feel like you're pointless, but nobody's pointless. We're here for a reason. Um, your body is not meant for sexual immorality or any kind of sin, but for the Lord, that is for Christ. Now, I'm speaking to those of you who are Christians or who would give your life to Jesus. We've said Jesus is Lord, so we're saying he's the boss of me. He's the boss of all of me, that includes my physical body. The body's not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. So that's the next two reasons in our 10 reasons. The body is meant for Christ, and the body belongs to Christ. Paul elevates the physical body by associating with Christ who redeemed it and to whom it belongs. You know, what if you thought of your body that way? It doesn't even belong to me. This doesn't belong to me. We say, you know, it's my, you know, my, my body, my choice, right? So if you're thinking about getting the shot or not getting the shot for the pandemic or, you know, ladies, if you're out there and you're, you're considering an abortion, and I, I would pray that you would reconsider and go to a pregnancy center that would give you other options. But there's this idea, well, this is my body and my choice. But if you've given your life to Jesus, if you said Jesus is Lord, then that doesn't apply. It's his body and you've said Jesus is Lord, so it's his choice. Now, uh, my free will is still intact. I still have the ability to say no to the Lord, but I've said Jesus is Lord, so I've, I have said, in fact, what Jesus said in the garden, not my will, but thy will be done, right? And, and indeed, what did Jesus teach us to pray? He said, uh, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name, right? Holy is your name. Your kingdom come and listen for it. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So that's what we're seeking. His will to be done on earth every day. First of all, in our own personal lives. And that starts with your body. That starts with how you wake up in the morning. What, what you do with your body throughout the day, the decisions that you make, whether you take a shower or not, whether you uh, dress in, in these clothes or whether you dress in those clothes, what you eat, whether you, you run or whether you go to the gym or uh, all of these things, you know, whether you, you decide to take a prescription drug that the doctor has given you that's supposed to help you in this or that area. Um, this should be subject to a lot of prayer and consideration. It really, really should, right? Um, Paul also teaches that the body, your body, is, is your offering to God in worship. 
Listen to what it says in Romans 12.1 or what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 12.1. Um, in view of God's mercy, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, you know, I always want to think of that as present yourself to God. But how do you present yourself? The only thing you really have control of is your body. So you present your body to him as a living sacrifice, right? Which is uh, holy and acceptable, your spiritual act of worship. That's Romans 12:1. So if you treated your body as holy, as a clean vessel for the Lord, what kind of health habits would you have? If you trusted that your body belongs to God and not yourself, um, how would that affect your faith about allowing or overcoming sickness or sexual sin? You know, we need to stay healthy. I've been saying this throughout the pandemic. It's your immune system that's gonna fight this off. Even if you go get the shot, that's just teaching your immune system to fight this virus. So you need to stay healthy. It's imperative for all of us. Um, it really, really is. Well, at the conclusion of this uh, 1 Corinthians 6 passage, Paul teaches that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. Now, you've heard people say this, perhaps, when they were talking about, let's say, smoking. You know, the body's the temple. My, you know, my body's a temple. Well, your body's not a temple unless you've allowed the Holy Spirit to come and live in you. So I hear, you know, people that don't follow Jesus say that, people that haven't given their lives to Christ. And strictly speaking, that's not true. Your body's not a temple until you have opened yourself up and allowed the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, to come in and to dwell in you. So then it becomes, uh, it's just like the temple in the Old Testament, right? There was the holy place where the priests ministered and they offered incense and the bread of the presence. And then there was the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant was. And on the top of the Ark of the Covenant, which contained the Ten Commandments, the covenant law, was what they called the mercy seat. And that's where blood was offered once a year by the high priest. And God's presence was, was believed to be concentrated, if you want to use that term, right there. So they believed that God was present in the temple. And the Apostle Paul is saying at the end of this passage that the Holy Spirit is present in the believer. So your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. So I should be thinking about that when I consider what I'm going to do with my body and whether I'm going to mistreat it or not. It's his temple. And then we also heard earlier in, uh, we heard earlier in 1 Corinthians uh, that the church is the temple, all right? He said, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. So all of us together also form God's temple. So you are a temple of the Holy Spirit if you have chosen to allow the Spirit of Christ to come into you. But we together, just like I've, I've gestured to our brick wall over here on a number of occasions, we're like bricks that fit together to, to build that temple of the Holy Spirit. And that's another good reason to come to church. So those of you that are watching online, I think it's wonderful that you're watching and I'm glad you are, but you should come and join us, right? Uh, you know, go get your vaccination, wear a face mask, do whatever you need to do, but we would love to have you. And we're glad you're here too. So I know I'm talking like a hundred people in the room, but we have the uh, online going, so. All right, verse 14, he says, and God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. So that addresses number four in these 10 reasons to avoid sexual immorality. The body will be raised from the dead. 
Since the body will be raised from the dead, it really does matter what we do with it now. My treatment of the body is a test both of faith and of responsibility. You're, you're a manager of this physical body. And again, as I mentioned earlier, uh, this is just a, a foretaste or a foreshadowing because you will have a resurrected body in eternity. Um, uh, and if you have allowed Christ to come into your life, then you will be resurrected to dwell with him forever, right? So uh, this doesn't mean that you and I will have all of our scars and certainly not all of our weaknesses from the earthly life, but Christ's scars were integral to his identity as our savior. So somehow, whatever makes me, me, and whatever makes you, you on earth will be part of us in eternity. So you will, you're not gonna look completely different than you do now, but the body will be completely different in many respects. So what this says is what I do now is of eternal value and it will endure beyond the grave, including what I do with my physical body. So ask yourself, do you need to rethink some things? Uh, do you need to rethink your position on body modification or tattoos or piercings or sex change operations? I tell people about tattoos all the time. If you would put it on, on a church, then by all means, right? Pray about it. But, you know, why would you put something death-oriented on your body? Why would you put something that is, you know, not glorifying to God on your body? And that applies to any sort of body modif modification, piercings, any of those things. Is this honoring to God? Is this drawing attention to, uh, to Him? Or is this something, uh, is somewhat of a mistreatment of my own body? And I don't think people realize that what they do with their physical bodies when it regards tattooing and piercing and these sorts of things reflects on their own self-image. Um, so I, I'm not here to rail on all of these sorts of things. I'm just here to help you to understand that your body doesn't just belong to you, it belongs to Christ. And what you're doing with your body is a test, right? As to whether you can handle this amazing resurrection body that the Lord wants to give you in eternity. I'm gonna tra be transformed, so nothing that relates to sin in me will remain, thank the Lord. Remember what the apostle said in 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 15, so we're gonna go back up to chapter three again, uh, regarding what survives the fire of Christ's judgment. He says, now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, that means shown, right? For the day will disclose it. The day is the day of judgment because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation, the foundation is Christ, uh, if that work survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So this statement immediately precedes the one that I quoted earlier where he says, we together are the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? Um, so what are you building with your life? Is it gonna survive judgment day? Uh, because whatever does survive becomes an offering to the Lord, right? This is what I, so remember the parable of the talents. The master gave each of them uh, a, an amount of money and said, now go and invest this. And they came back and then he gave them responsibility in accordance with their 
their investments. So one fellow was given five talents, he invested it and doubled it, and so then it was 10. And so the, the master said, well done, good and faithful servant. Now I will make you responsible for many things, right? You've been faithful in little, now you will be faithful. So what you're doing now matters. We need to stop acting like this just doesn't matter. Again, it's just like I said earlier, people have two approaches. They either act like none of this matters, you can do whatever you want, you're gonna die anyway. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Or people act like this is all there is, and this is all that matters, right? And you can build a, a heaven on earth here, and uh, this ain't heaven, that's for sure. Um, now let's look at verse 15. So we looked at verses 13 and 14, and we got through the first four of those um, reasons to avoid sexual immorality. Now verse 15, and we'll go 15 through 17. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make the members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. So this addresses number five, the body is a part of Christ's body on earth. So sometimes the church is called the body of Christ, right? So I look around, I, I don't see Jesus walking around in a robe and sandals any longer, um, but Jesus is multiplied many times over because he inhabits his people and you know we're, we're little Christ, that's what Christian means, little Christ, but Together, you know, the, the one vision of Christ on earth is the temple, right? We all form the temple, we said that earlier. And the other vision uh, of Christ on earth is that we are his body on earth. We're his hands, we're his feet, right? We are uh, his mouth and we are the ones that are, that are reaching. So um, more than a metaphor, when you say Jesus is Lord, as I said, the spirit comes inside of you and your body becomes a temple. You're joined to uh, all of the other parts of that temple throughout the world and we become this, this great temple that is being erected. But we're also this body of Christ on earth and we're a part of him. So I don't just need to consider Jesus and me in this little private relationship. I need to consider that if you are a believer, I'm a believer. If you have the Spirit of Christ in you, I have the Spirit of Christ in me, well, then we're part of each other, right? Just like your hand is part of your arm and part of your shoulder and, and part of the rest of your body, um, we're part of one another and we're part of Christ, right? Um, so as the result of that understanding, that's number five, this is why you should not uh, be involved in sexual immorality because your body is a part of Christ's body on earth. Number six, Christ's body shouldn't be joined to a sexually immoral person. Now he uses the example here of a prostitute. Now this wouldn't be the type of prostitute that we would think of today uh, that is just out collecting money. This is likely a temple prostitute. In Corinth, uh, they had a, a temple to Aphrodite, the goddess of love, and uh, at least one ancient account said that a thousand temple prostitutes came down from uh, Aphrodite's temple and plied their wares, if you will, and they considered this an act of worship to the goddess. 
This was the problem with Israel's worship of Baal and Ashtoreth in the land. The way they worshiped was by having sex with a male or female prostitute. So yeah, kind of a genius way of justifying it, right? Um, but the Apostle Paul said, um, your body is joined to this other person when you are in this sexual intimacy. Um, so we're members of one another, but you make your physical body a member of another person when you join yourself to them sexually. And so the, you are Christ's and you belong to him and you're a member of his body. And we can't imagine taking the, a member of Christ's holy body and joining that to a prostitute, to someone. And this doesn't mean that the Lord doesn't love, uh, love a prostitute. I mean, he, he loved and forgave the woman who was caught in adultery, but that's not the point. Jesus never told people, go your way and keep on sinning. He told that woman, go your way and sin no more, right? So when we find ourselves caught up in sexual immorality or any other kind of sin, we need to immediately confess it and renounce it and find mercy and move forward. Um, but these are considerations. If I understand that I belong to Christ and I'm a member of his body, then that part of Christ's body should not be involved in anything that would dishonor the Lord, right? Because I'm dragging the Holy Spirit into that. And uh, yeah, that's, that's just a terrible thing to think about. So whatever I do with my body, I do with Christ. I'm never free to do whatever my flesh may be tempted to do without also dragging Jesus into it. The parts of my body are Christ's instruments. They're his tools, parts of his body. Would it be right to take a copy of the Gutenberg Bible, tear pages out and use them to light a cigarette? Would it be right? I, I, I have met a number of people who have uh, been in jail and, uh, I have been told that Bible pages are often used to roll cigarettes because they're thin paper. You just considered how disrespectful that is, right? I mean, you know, you've really descended into uh, a degree of disrespect for God when you can take his word and use it to, you know, smoke a cigarette. Uh, but that's what we're doing with our physical bodies, right? Would it be right to take a priceless Stradivarius violin and give it to a dog for a chew toy? No, it wouldn't. So this is another reason for you to have self-respect. Now, I think that there's a tendency, as I said at the beginning of this teaching time, to, uh, to be idolatrous with self, right? Selfish idolatry. But there are those who have too little self-respect and that, Self-respect doesn't mean that, that I put myself as the focus of my life, uh, that I'm staring at myself in my smartphone all the time or in the mirror all the time. But self-respect means there are certain things that I'm, I'm just not going to do to myself, to my body. There, there are certain places I'm not going to go uh, because you say, well, you think you're better than that? Um, yeah not because I'm better than other people, but gosh, there are places you shouldn't go because you should think, no, I'm, I'm better than that. Well, then you think you're better than those people? No, I think I'm better off. And I think I can't lead anybody if I'm going down the same path as they're going down, if I've descended into the same level of depravity. So 
yeah, um, let's say, uh, you know, I found a crack house. I don't even know, do those still exist? Um, and, uh, you know, I, I went in there in order to share the gospel, right? In order to try to lead people. Well, that's one thing. But if I go into a crack house and sit down and smoke a crack pipe with everybody in there, then I've just descended to that level of depravity and I'm, I'm not going to be able to bring anybody out of that, right? Uh, I had a friend, I've told the story many times, he's passed away now, but uh, he actually uh, was instrumental in helping me start this church many years ago. Uh, he's about a decade or so older than me, he's a married man. And uh, he was really, really strong on doing street outreach, okay? Um, in fact, I had, I had met him prior to this, but the place we really connected and where he decided he wanted to help us start this church or be a part of it was in New Orleans during Mardi Gras. I went down there with another man who uh, used to go to this church um, to, uh, to do street outreach. Now, I have done some street outreach, but never anything on the level of going to Mardi Gras going to the French Quarter, I should say Mardi Gras, every, every, there's Mardi Gras everywhere. Uh, I should say the French Quarter in New Orleans, right? During Mardi Gras, it's insane. I mean, it's literally insane. People are doing some crazy stuff out there. And so we, I was with a Christian group that went out there and we did a bunch of different outreaches out there. Now, there are some people on the streets out there that are Christians that are, they're screaming at people and telling them they're going to hell and it's just a bad approach, right? But we were out there trying different things and you know, I was just going around talking to different people and seeing if I could strike up a conversation and be, um, be relational when it concerned evangelism rather than kind of uh, being presentational. So I went with, the first outreach that I did was with a guy that was dressed up like Jesus carrying the cross. And I mean, the makeup was good. He looked like Jesus from the Passion of the Christ. I mean, he, and this was before that movie came out, but you know, he just looked beat up, looked like Jesus, and he was carrying a cross. Well, it was striking. People would just stop, right? And look at this guy. Now, this was at the very beginning of kind of smartphone cameras and those sorts of things. So our, everybody's smartphone camera was kind of cheap, so a lot of people were just carrying around regular cameras. And people wanted to take a picture with him. That was like what everybody wanted to do. Like today it would be a selfie, right? That's not really what they would do is, you know, here, get, hand the camera to somebody else and have them take a picture. So this guy would say, yeah, you can do that, but you have to listen to this gentleman. And so I was this gentleman. And I would give them a brief two-minute gospel presentation, and then they would get their picture made with Jesus, and then he would move on. So I did that for a little while, but I don't know. It was just kind of weird. Uh, did some relational evangelism. <clears throat> but then I encountered these guys that were out there holding signs. Now, if you've ever been to the French Quarter, you see people holding signs everywhere, right? Asking for stuff or advertising or whatever. You know, big blah, blah, blah beers or, you know, whatever. <clears throat> these guys were holding these signs. And this fella that became my friend was holding a sign that said golf. I'm not kidding you. It said golf, G-O-L-F. So that's just, you're out at Mardi Gras, these people are drunk, they're partying, women are pulling up their tops and you know, getting beads for it and all this other stuff. And he's just standing there holding the sign that says golf. 
So people would just come up, you know, what? You know, they didn't understand. What, did that, what does that mean, right? And he said, oh, he said, that means God offers love and forgiveness. Well, so, you know, you have really two reactions. One reaction is, oh, religion, and they go off. And then you have people that want to talk, and he would talk to them. Well, I thought that was kind of a cool way, you know, of going about it. So the next year I went out there and I held a sign. My sign was blank. It was just blank. People just look up at my sign and, oh, we don't understand what's, you know, and say, well, that's your life without Jesus. It's just blank, right? So, uh, you know, there's crazy stuff that goes on out there and you have to avert your gaze from certain things. In fact, I was standing on the, <clears throat> the uh, front porch of the Bucare Baptist Church, which is on 777 Dauphine. It's one street over from Bourbon Street. And that's where all of the, uh, the outreachers stayed. And I was standing on the, the front porch of that church and a lady completely disrobed while a circle of men got around her and started taking pictures. I didn't know what to do. I just turned my back and prayed. Uh, a NOLA police car pulled up and dispersed them and took her in the car and covered her up and drove off. Well, that's kind of a rarity. They really let just about everything go on down there. I'm saying all this to you because I'm trying to help you understand the kind of fellow this was. He tells me one night, you know, he said, I think I want to go do some outreach at a topless bar. I was like, okay, well, you can do that. That's not going to work for me, right? Because I think he was honest. I don't think he was going there to participate I think he was going to go there to actually reach out. He just had the ability to look past that and not sexualize it. And that's a very powerful thing. But this is what I'm talking about um, when I'm saying we need to consider what we're doing when we put ourselves in a situation where people are doing things that we know are wrong. Am I doing that? Is there an ulterior motive there? Is there something in me that just wants to go to a drug den or a topless bar or the French Quarter. Honestly, I haven't gone back to the French Quarter since that second time except one time to visit and just see what was going on down there and it wasn't during Mardi Gras because I think you really need to be called to do that. Um, it's, it's an important outreach. It's something that this fellow, his name was Larry, uh, believed he was called to do, but I never thought I was called to do that. I just didn't see the fruit. And he did see fruit. He, he was able to lead people to Christ out there. Um, and, uh, you know, I just had a few encounters that I thought were valuable, but I didn't. So your motive needs to be right. Why am I getting involved with this? And especially when it concerns sexual immorality, you know, there are things that I'm just not gonna, I'm not gonna go anywhere near, right? Because that's not, I'm not gonna be able to reach out in that t particular situation or perhaps not even that particular person. Right? Number seven, the seventh reason to avoid sexual immorality, Christ and I are one in spirit. So that's what it says in verse 17, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. So he said that your body becomes one flesh with this person that you were engaged intimately with. He said, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one in spirit to him. So. What we need is that sense of holiness within us. Um, the, the power and the presence of the Spirit will keep us 
from these situations. The Holy Spirit is going to convict you. I can jump up and down and scream and yell like these people at Mardi Gras were doing and try to make people feel bad. You know, pack up your bags. We're going on a guilt trip. But I don't think that that changes anybody. That can make somebody feel bad for a period of time and maybe they'll want to change, but it doesn't offer the power to change. But the Spirit of God will convict, convict you. He will convince you. And He is going to be that still, small voice that is going to clearly let you know what you should and should not do when it's something that is questionable. Um, now, there are things that are not questionable. Should I lie? Of course I shouldn't lie. Should I steal? Of course I shouldn't steal. Should I commit adultery? Of course I shouldn't commit adultery, right? But there are these questionable things. What should I do? So here's my friend inviting me to go witness at a topless bar. I'm like, nope, that's not going to work for me, okay? Um, you know, but going to Mardi Gras? No, that was, I could do that. There were women, you know, throwing their tops up, but I could look up above them. I could look down. I could look away. It, it wasn't one of those situations where I was drawn into uh, immorality. But I've been saying this ever since the pandemic started. You need to have a good sense of what the Holy Spirit is saying because He's going to guide you away from these hotspots. I really believe that. You want to keep away from getting sick? then you need to pay attention to the Spirit because He's going to lead you. He's going to direct you, right? So, you know, you got people that are afraid of the, the vaccine. Well, pray about it. See what the Holy Spirit says to you, right? Um, but uh, that's what I hope anytime I'm reading the Word of God and I'm teaching from Scripture, that's what I hope is that you're not just listening to me talk, but that you're paying attention to the Holy Spirit. So you might be, you know, with us right now live tonight on YouTube or Facebook or you may watch this a month from now. But I believe that the Holy Spirit is there with you and He is seeking to convict you and He is seeking to teach you and to lead you. Now, He has a still small voice and we can override that still small voice with our loud protestations. Oh, 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 no, 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 I don't know. You know, it's, uh, I'm not sure about all of that. And, uh, and the Holy Spirit's not gonna argue with you. He's really not. The Holy Spirit doesn't argue. He simply says. Now, I'm not saying in audible words. Some people have heard audible words. I don't. But I know when what I'm doing is wrong. And it's like you can, you can just get very determined and stick your chin out, stick your chest out, and just say, nope, I'm going to go do this. And the Holy Spirit will let you do it. And then you got to deal with the consequences, right? So I think it's important for us to understand that we are one in spirit with Christ. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of Christ. The Holy Spirit is the one who makes me like Christ. He, that is Christ's method, if you want to use that, of leading me to follow Him and to do what He wants me to do. I'm one in spirit with Him. And that's why I don't need to be, you know, looking up porn on my phone or you know, going into some place that I know that I shouldn't be going where I'm going to be tempted. Um, and that can be a variety of things. You know, I've, I've become convinced that the reason why so many Hollywood movies have sex scenes is because people are just attracted to soft porn. And they just want to go watch that because this actor that they like is going to be naked or half naked in that scene. Okay. Honestly, I avoid those movies. Um, I appreciate the advent of, you know, things like uh, these uh, streaming services online because I can be watching a movie 
and I can just go, nope, scroll, 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 or I can hit that, go forward 10 seconds, go forward 10 seconds, go forward 10 seconds until I'm out of that garbage. I don't, I am less and less likely to sit in a theater and watch a movie these days because I have walked out of so many movies now, I can't even begin to tell you because they're so extremely, and I love movies. So you would think, well, why do you watch movies? I love movies, I really do, I always have. I watch movies my whole life, enjoyed them my whole life. But when they're just ridiculously violent, and, and that's bloodlust, by the way, it's just another type of lust, right? Another type of desire, desire to see violence done, it's terrible, right? Or, or sexual thing. I'm just like, I'm not interested in seeing you and your honey bunches of oats have sex. I'm just, you know, it's like camping out in somebody's bedroom, you know? You just go knock on the door. Okay, can I come and watch you in your bedroom have sex? Because, yeah, that's just, I'm bored and I just want to do that. That's what we're doing, you know? And so, uh, yeah, that's, I have the spirit of Christ in me and everywhere I go, he goes with me. But more than that, I am one in spirit with Christ and I should be sensing his leadership. And I'm telling you what, man, the Holy Spirit's conviction can be very strong when you're paying attention. I mean, it can drop on you like an anvil. And it just really, now you can still overcome it and be determined to sin, but it's dangerous, right? Um, the scripture says, don't quench the spirit. So the spirit is, is welling up and speaking to you prophetic utterance through the word, right? And, you're, and you quench the spirit with your doubt, right? Oh, I don't believe that. Oh, preacher, that's just, that's just old talk. The, you know, the, the, the world has moved on, you know? You're, you're just, you're not keeping up. You're right, I don't wanna keep up. I wanna follow Jesus. And so um, the Holy Spirit is going to convince you and convict you and lead you in the right direction and away from these situations, right? That's what's gonna keep us out of sin. So we're told to humble ourselves before God and to stand against the devil, right? That's what we're told. We're told to stand against the devil. In Ephesians chapter six, the apostle Paul gives all of these different implements that a spiritual warrior will have. And they all go on the front of the body, right? The breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith. Now, technically you could kind of face that toward the back, I guess. Um, the shield of faith, the sword of the spirit, okay? Uh, you know, the helmet, the, the, the shoes of the gospel, the greaves of the, everything is facing the front because I'm supposed to face the devil and I'm supposed to fight against the devil by standing against him, right? And it says the devil will flee. But when it concerns temptation, verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. So I take my stand against the devil, but when it's something that's tempting to me, I am told to run. Wow, okay. Um, in fact, uh, the Apostle Paul tells his protege Timothy, now flee youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call upon the Lord out of, of a pure heart. Flee sexual immorality, flee youthful lusts. So when I sin sexually, number eight, I sin against my own body, which belongs to Christ. Since my body's not designed for sexually immoral activity, I don't just offend God, I defile my body. 
sex is very plastic in nature. This is why you find people who have these bizarre attractions, if you will. And I'm not even going to begin to get into some of the, what do they call them, fetishes that people have. It's, it's part of the animal nature in us that we will associate certain things that have uh, pleasure with them as, as connected, right? And so you understand how this all works. If I have been sensually stimulated in the presence of something, then that can cause me to associate that with that stimulation. So I've sinned against my own body. I've literally rewired my body to be attracted to something that I would never have dreamed I would be attracted to. And this starts when people are very young, when they become awakened to this sort of thing. Now, I'm not going to get into great detail here. Uh, The other way that you're sinning against your own body is um, by virtue of of, uh, sexually transmitted disease. You could wipe out every sexually transmitted disease in one generation if everybody just paid attention to what the scripture teaches, one man, one woman, life. That would be the end of sexually transmitted diseases, right? It would, they would all be wiped out. Um, and uh, yeah, so I sin against my own body. Verse 19, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? We mentioned this earlier within you, whom you have from God, you're not your own. So number nine of the 10 reasons that we should avoid sexual sin, the body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. The people of Corinth had come out of a sexually immoral religious culture where, as I said earlier, temple prostitutes were the norm. Having sex in a temple with a prostitute as an act of worship would have been acceptable. But now they were different people. They belonged to the God who sought intimacy with them in a totally different way. This God created human beings and gender and sex. This God is love. The scripture says God is love, right? He defines love. His Holy Spirit comes in to live, comes to live within a person who will believe. Intimacy then is deeper and longer lasting than sexual intimacy. Intimacy with a prostitute, even though they claim to represent the, the God, is ironic and illusory. If a Corinthian had sex with a temple prostitute, they would just be having sex with a stranger in the name of a non-existent God. Consider how ridiculous that is, right? It's, the devil is just laughing every time we follow one of these, these uh, foolish desires. When the Corinthians came to Christ, they were filled with the Spirit of Christ and manifested the gifts of the Spirit as evidence of this. So pretty much every form of sexual immorality that you see in our culture today was in the Greek culture. And it was Christianity that brought sexual ethics to bear. Christians were different. They, they weren't like their neighbors who had a wife, but also had two or three mistresses, right? Um, you know, if you, if you lo- just look up Pompeii, all right? Um, Mount Vesuvius erupted and the lava came down and there are a lot of uh, places in the city of Pompeii, the ancient uh, Roman city of Pompeii, where people are just frozen in place, right? It just suddenly stopped that society. But there were brothels everywhere, okay? And there were, it was common in Paul's day for uh, people to have charm, 
chimes, excuse me, in their homes that were made of male phalluses. It's just a very pornographic culture. Christianity came in and just really radically rewired the Western world. Now, like a dog to its vomit, we've just returned back to that again, right? So um, Christians recognized that they were different. The body is a temple of the spirit and they sought to follow that. Um, verse 20, you were bought at, with a price, so glorify God in your body. And that's the 10th the reason to avoid sexual immorality. Christ redeemed my body from destruction, therefore I should glorify God with it. So redemption, right? Christ redeemed my body, you were bought with a price. Redemption is the analogy of slavery. And the Jewish people would be very familiar with this because they were brought out of slavery to the Egyptians and brought into their own land, okay? So this is a very powerful analogy throughout scripture to be redeemed, to be bought back from slavery. And um, yeah, that's, that's the Exodus history. And we get enslaved to all sorts of habits and lusts, right? Um, sometimes things just are so overwhelmingly powerful that we don't know how we're gonna control them. And we need to, we need to become one with Christ and recognize that we have a new nature, uh, that we're not the people we used to be. And we need to let that reason and that faith override our feelings. I think the problem is that many of us have been taught and have chosen to follow our feelings above facts, above reason, and above faith. So in a very real sense, even religious people have a tendency to follow their feelings, and their feelings are following something. Right? Might be something that is legitimate or illegitimate. It might be something that's trustworthy or untrustworthy. But if I have strong feelings and my faith is in my feelings, as soon as my feelings change, my faith dissolves. We've had people in this church who uh, were very, very uh, enthusiastic about their faith, who did things like street witnessing and those sorts of things. And a number of them years ago, this has been a decade or more ago now, um, they were very emotional people. They were following their feelings. Things changed, their feelings changed, and now they claim to be atheists. How does that happen? As long as you follow your feelings, you know, you may be enthusiastic about your faith. You may be, you really, really want to change. You really want things to be different. You really love Jesus and you're praising him and so forth. But if the feelings are in front of the re revelation of the word of God and your faith is in your feelings, the devil's good at manipulating feelings. As soon as he moves those feelings to the side, then your faith fails or your faith attaches itself to something else. So we need to recognize that we've been bought out of that old life and brought into a new life with Christ, right? Um, I am crucified with Christ and no longer do I live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live on in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Wow, that's a new identity. That's what I need to have faith in. That's not a feeling. I don't feel like Jesus is in me all the time, right? I, I don't 
always feel the Holy Spirit, but I believe. And there will be feelings and then not feelings, right? But I believe, and there's an abiding presence that transcends my feelings. I am redeemed. I am a new creation in Christ. If any person is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is passed away. Behold, the new has come. So even if I trip and I fall and I go back to some element of my old life, the Lord will be willing to lift me out of that pit of despair, of that muck and that mire. And he will be willing to take me out in the backyard and squirt me off with the hose, right? Get all that junk off of me and set me back on the path again. And that's such good news. That's grace. That's mercy. That's, that's what we're about, right? So this has not been in, uh, intended to be condemnatory. I publicized that it was 10 reasons to avoid sexual immorality and you know, promptly we had a lot of people that didn't show up. So uh, obviously not a popular teaching, but an important teaching. So we need to recognize that we're set aside, we're set apart from the world. And uh, that can sound like church and religion and moralizing and old, you know, fuddy-duddy to some people. But the reality is the pure in heart see God. So if you want to have that relationship with Christ that is crystal clear and know that he's in your life and know that he's leading you, start by confessing your sin. The scripture says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen? All right. We go gate to gate, seven to eight, and it's just about eight. So God bless you guys that just joined us uh, online and uh, yeah. Get into that word yourself.